Let's open God's holy word this morning to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Let us hear the word of the Lord, beginning with verse 1. Now Adam knew his Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have an acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desires for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. May God give us wisdom and insight into His Word this morning. In this text, we find the second major instance of someone succumbing to sin right after Adam and Eve had sinned against God in disobedience. Now we have Cain. Although he hears God's word to him, he turns away from it and murders his brother Abel. Already this early in the book of Genesis, we see a vivid example that God said that would happen, that there would ensue a struggle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. A struggle between the ungodly line that would come about and the godly line concerning those that have faith. Here also in this text, we see a crystal clear, vivid example in the Word of God as to how we approach God. That's what we need to learn from this morning. How dare we come before the Lord? Do we have the right to come before the Lord? How do we come before the Lord in such a way that honors Him? We see first of all in this text that the Lord had respect for Abel's offering but did not respect the offering of Cain. Let me assure you that God makes no decisions in an arbitrary manner. But there's perfect wisdom, justice, and insight in the decision that God made. 
We need to ask ourselves this morning, first of all in this text, is why did God respect Abel's offering? Now both Cain and Abel had honorable, good occupations. Cain being a farmer and Abel being a shepherd. Both of them did work that was honorable to God. And as far as that goes, there was nothing wrong explicitly or directly with either of the offerings that were offered to the Lord. We learn from Hebrews chapter 11, you don't have to take the time to to turn there, but you need to highlight this verse as we're, we're thinking about this. The reason why the Lord had such respect and honor for Abel's offering is that Abel offered this sacrifice before the Lord with faith and trust in God as he offered the sacrifice to the Lord. Whereas Cain did not. Abel's offering was offered in faith. It was offered trusting God. It was offered believing God. It was offered to honor God. It indeed was an offering that was given to the Lord with an attitude of faith. Receiving what God had for Him. In a sense, this is... uh, One of the first accounts in the whole Word of God of salvation by grace alone through faith. Abel believed God and he trusted God. And that's why his faith was rewarded. On the other hand, Cain's offering seems to be rather passe. Well... The Lord has required an offering, so I'm going to offer an offering to the Lord. But rather perfunctory, rather routine, or rather a going through the motions, it would appear from what we have in the text, rather than a sincere trust in God, rather than a pure love for God. Now it says in our text that Cain took from the fruit of the ground. First of all, you see very little effort displayed there. And you know, we assume that when when Cain took of the fruit from the, the ground that it was probably from his garden. But you know... We're not even sure about that. Look carefully in our text uh, that we have here. Look at verse 3. In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Again, are you with me? We would assume that this, this fruit was offered from Cain's own Work, But we're not sure because the text does say explicitly in verse 4 that Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock. So we know for sure that Abel offered something that was his self from, it, from his own work. Now, so possibly, maybe haphazardly, Cain said, well, we don't know for sure. There, there's some fruit and I'm a farmer. Here, Lord, here's here's some fruit that I offer to you. On the other hand, maybe it was fruit from his uh, hard work. And he said, see, Lord, this is work that I have done. I have cultivated this plant. 
this fruit. And Lord, now, based on my work, I'm going to give this to you. Whatever the case, we see very little effort involved and very little insight, thoughtfulness involved in the offering that Cain makes. And you know, throughout the Word of God, keep your place there. And let's turn over to the book of of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. And this is just one example of many in the Word of God which shows forth God's displeasure in sacrifice, in offering a sacrifice just for the sake of offering a sacrifice. You know, this is a religious thing to do and we're supposed to offer sacrifices, but if we offer without a heart full of faith and love and gratitude toward God, God doesn't want any part of it. In Isaiah chapter 1, let's begin with uh, verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. They were not wrong in that they were offering sacrifices, but it was the attitude in which they were offering the sacrifices. Verse 12, When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meetings. You see that? I cannot endure you coming with these religious proceedings when you harbor iniquity in your heart. God said He was fed up with it. He says there uh, in verse 14, My soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing in them. Oh yeah, you look very religious. Verse 15, when you spread out your hands. He said, but I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear you. Your hands are full of blood. Jesus spoke about those whose the words of the Lord were always on their lips, but their hearts were far from Him. That was the case with these that Isaiah is speaking to, He said. He says in verse 16, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil from your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, and they, they shall be white as snow, and though they are red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. In other words, when you come to me, make sure your heart is right as you offer these sacrifices. Make sure that you're understanding the very reason why you're offering this sacrifice. These sacrifices denote that you are not right with me apart from the ultimate sacrifice that was to come. So if that sacrifice was offered apart from faith, it was no good. Because the offerer had to have faith in the final offering, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was to come. Now it seems in this text that Cain had no faith 
in the one that was to come. You know, of all the times that Jesus showed the most anger were those two times that He cleansed the temple. When, they, when the people of God were going through religious ceremony, but their hearts were far from God. And you know how He came into the temple and he was, he was quite angry and He drove out those who bought and sold in the temple. And He overturned their money changers' table. And then he quoted from both Isaiah and Jeremiah when he said, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of thieves. Cain's offering was offered perfunctory. Something religious to do going through the motion. And God was concerned about the heart of the one who was making the offering. Now again, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 tells us that Abel offered a what? A more excellent sacrifice. A more excellent sacrifice. Again, it's not so much that Cain offered something that was wrong, but Abel offered a sacrifice that was more excellent. So let's delve into this text here and find out what was more excellent about Abel's offering. There in Genesis chapter 4, first of all, we read in verse 4 that Abel brought forth of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. Abel gave of his very best that he had of the flock. We were studying this morning in our time of Sunday school and we were made reference to many times in the Old Testament uh, those that would, work, that would worship in a flippant manner would look out and say, well, you know, that, that sheep is, is lame. We, we're not, it's not doing us much good. Let's offer that to the Lord. Or that lamb is rather weak and sickly. It's not doing anything good. Let's just give that to God, you know, without any desire to honor God, to give God the best. Abel gave of his best. He was sincere. That, that, that uh, little lamb that no doubt he had nursed from the time it was a, a baby. Um, I'm sorry, what do you call it? A lamb's a baby, right? You sheep, people that raise sheep, I'm not. Okay, <laughs> thank you. From the time that lamb was very little, you know. He must have had some type of love and relationship with this creature. And and that yet he was willing to give his very best, his very best lamb to the Lord. Notice also Abel's offering was more directly related to himself than was the fruit of the ground. Now what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that this, this lamb that was offered... Well, it was more like us in that it was a mammal like us. It nursed as a baby just as we nursed as a baby. It basically had a, has a four-chambered heart as we do as mammals. 
So you see there was a, a more of a direct relation here that he had with this animal. There was more in the animal than there was in the fruit that was offered. Does that make sense? Now the, the plant, the fruit, it was alive too. We know that. You know, I didn't do too well in botany, but I do know, do remember that, that plants are, are living, living organisms. But do we not have much more affinity and relationship with animals? A lot of you have farms, and I bet you get more attached to your your animals than you do, say, your tomato plants. Is that right? Yeah. You know, I, uh, Brother Terry gave me some tomatoes, and even though they've been plucked from the vine, they're still living. But I'm not going to shed any tears when I eat those tomatoes, you know. But a little lamb's a different thing, is because we relate more to that lamb. We relate to that lamb, and when that lamb that that no doubt Abel had affection for, when he slit that lamb's throat and it bled upon the altar, there was relationship there. He understood something of what was going on. He understood also that this life, listen to this, this was a living creature whose life was in its very blood. And that blood was poured out. It was poured out. Well, you say, well, you know, is that really that big of a deal? I say to you, yes, it was really a big deal. Why was it such a big deal? Well, first of all, this is the first recording in the Word of God of an, of an animal being killed. Why would anybody kill an animal like that? Well, I know, I saw a hand just a second. I'll, I'll get to that. I'm not totally asleep. <laughs> okay? Of, of an animal being slain. Alright? Okay? Everyone at this particular time on the earth was a vegetarian. There would be no reason to kill an animal to eat it because no one had eaten animals at this time. So where was Abel coming from when he decided that to, to bring forth this offering? In a sense, it would have been thought of as rather strange and quite unnatural since everyone was a vegetarian at that time. But I think when we look a little deeper into the text, which we're going to do, we're going to see a clearer depiction of what God had desired in coming before Him and presenting an offering to Him. You know, in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 7, after Adam and Eve sinned against God in absolute disobedience, and the first thing that they realized after their sin, they realized that they were naked... And verse 7 says, um, after they realized this, the latter part of that verse, and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves coverings. They had shame and they had guilt before God and they realized they, they were naked, not just spiritually, but they all, now for the first time they realized they were naked physically, which they didn't even have any concept of that before they, they sinned. But they had this, this shame and they realized they needed to cover themselves. So they covered themselves with what? Quickest thing available. Fig leaves. Something from the fruit of the ground. 
They covered themselves with fig leaves. But God rejected that covering, didn't He? He rejected that covering. And we read in Genesis chapter 3 and verse uh, 21, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin and He clothed them. This might have been a reference to that hand was up while ago. <laughs> yeah, see, there was an animal that was slain. And there's an animal that was slain. And we don't know definitively or directly, but evidently God was pointing here. See, we have a shadow of the gospel here. You need to be covered because of your sin, but it's not going to come from anything that comes from your hand or your own doing. You, you need to, there needs to be a substitute. There needs to be a life given in order that you might be covered correctly. And God gave this hint to Adam and to Eve. So He flew an animal and He covered them after there was shedding of blood. God took that skin and He covered them. God provided with them a more excellent covering. Through a physical death, a life was given in order that an adequate covering might be made. Do you not think that in some way Abel certainly knew Adam and Eve had revealed to him all that had happened? I can't imagine him not understanding that. And that he knew in the, in the shadows of his mind the propensity of sin and that in order for him to, for their covering to be made, that as the Scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And if I am to bring my offering before God, a substitute, a sacrifice must occur. So, so through faith in recognizing this, Abel offered up to the Lord a more excellent sacrifice. Abel, no doubt, he knew what had happened to his parents, how they had sinned against God and they had been banished from the garden. And as the Scripture says, the soul that sins will surely die. Abel knew that he was the one that should die before God. And he had to have a substitute. He needed a mediator to stand between him and God. Is, it, is, is there no wonder that God honored this faith? Not because there was anything in Him. He simply heard the Word of God. He, he understood the revelation of God that had been passed down to Him from Adam and Eve, and he believed God. He trusted God, and He offered up a more excellent sacrifice. He must have also understood something of what we refer to now as Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. The Lord said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed as He speaks to the serpent. There will be enmity. And we see this enmity right now going on in our text, don't we? And the Lord said, And he shall bruise your head, speaking 
of Satan. Satan's head was to be crushed, and he shall bruise, and you shall bruise. Speaking of serpent, you serpent shall bruise his heel. Speaking of the cross. Here again, another reference. A reference that Abel uh, must have had some understanding of that there was one who was to come that was going to put away of, of all iniquity, to put away of all evil. There was one that was going to come and be a sacrifice. There was one that was going to mediate between God and man. I believe, based on Scripture, Abel, Abel trusted in the Lord as he offered up this sacrifice. And that's why he offered a more excellent sacrifice. It was not the sacrifice in and of itself, but it was what Abel understood about the sacrificial one who was to come. Wow. The Gospel is there, isn't it? It's there in the shadows, but it's there. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust His cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge beneath the healing, cleansing flood. This Gospel is glorious and it's profound, but yet it is very, very simple. There is one who has come and died and shed His blood for me. And through simple trust and faith in this glorious work of Christ, we can be cleansed and we can be made free. I believe that Abel understood the Gospel. Not to the extent that we do, no. But through simple faith, he believed in the Mediator that was to come. And his faith was counted as, as righteousness to him. That's what, that's what uh, our text says to us in uh, Hebrews chapter 11.4, the text I've referred to. Let me read that for you. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. He was righteous before God and His righteousness was exemplified in the fact that He offered an offering that was pleasing and acceptable to God because He offered it in faith and trust of the coming Messiah. He offered a more excellent sacrifice. Abel knew that it was his own life was due because of his sin, that the wages of sin is death. But he offered a gift to God that exemplified his true faith in the Lord. Abel's attitude caused him to offer a more excellent sacrifice. Abel had heard the truth of God, again, even though it was not explicitly stated, he understood it. It was not as clear as we have in our New Testament epistles, but yet he understood the basic truths of the gospel. Just as did Noah when the Lord said he was going to judge his people and he told Noah to, to build an ark. Enjoying that rain. <laughs> no rain. But yet there's going to be a flood. 
Just as Abel offered a sacrifice, even though animal, no animal had ever been killed. But Noah trusted God, and he believed God, and his faith was counted for righteousness. Same way with Abraham. Abraham was called to, to leave his homeland and go into a land he knew nothing of. And by faith, he left and sojourned in a land uh, in the land of promise. You know, it's such a mysterious thing, isn't it? When the Word of God is preached, some believe it, it finds place in the heart and God works in their heart and they trust. What's, what's a great work of, work of God? You know, no doubt Cain and Abel heard these same truths, but for one, they believed, and the other, no, no desire. Same way with Jacob and Esau. You know, Jacob found trust in the Lord and never meant anything to Esau. We understand why, because God is sovereign. We also understand that man is responsible. Well, let's continue on here in our, in our text. That's the question. Why was Cain so angry? Why was Cain so angry? <laughs> was this not God's question to Cain? After he revealed the fact that he had respect for Abel's offering, he says to, to Cain... Uh, in verse 6, so the Lord God said to Cain, why are, you, why are you so angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Why are you acting like this? You know, uh, Who are you, first of all, to question God? Is it reasonable that you're angry? Are you justified in your anger? You, are you righteous in your, angry, in your anger? You know, it's okay as, as believers... For us to be angry, we're told to, to be angry, but to sin not if you are angry. Uh, righteous indignation is, is good and just and holy. So the Lord says, do you have reasonable cause to be angry? Did not the Creator, the Sustainer, the Judge of all the earth, the, the One who was to provide the Redeemer, the One who had the wisdom to determine what is right and wrong, could he not determine which offering was acceptable and why? Does not the potter have right over the clay? Will not the judge of all the earth do that which is right in his sight? But yet, God has spoken. God has revealed Himself through, in a general sense, through creation. God has revealed Himself through the Word of God, the, the written Word, and God has revealed Himself through the living Word. And yet, many take God's revelation and they dismiss it. And they're angry. They have no desire for the things of God. You remember uh, in Jesus' parable, the parables the parable of the laborers when many people throughout the day were hired and some were hired early in the morning and some midday, some, some late afternoon and some only worked uh, just an, an hour or so be, before the day ended. And the landowner came to, to pay the, 
the workers at the end of the day, and He chose to give them all the same amount. And some were very angry. And they said, we have borne the heat of the day. We've worked all day and these have only only toiled for less than an hour. And they're going to get the same amount that we received. And they were angry about it. And the landowner says, if I choose to give the last man the same as I gave the first, is that not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? You see? And that's a picture. What's that a picture? Salvation by grace alone, through faith. Amen. That even though some believe early as a child, and some may believe a few uh, moments before they die, we all receive, no matter whether we've been a Christian for 60 years or a Christian for 60 minutes, we all are undeserving of this grace. And when we, when we believe, we re- receive that which is foreign to us to begin with. That is a righteousness from God which enables us to be right with God. It's a gift of God. We have nothing to boast of. Even though we've been faithful to the Lord for 60 years, there's no boasting there. Whether we been faithful to the Lord for 60 minutes. God gets all the glory in bringing one unto Himself. Does not the landowner have the right? You know, we, we have no place of comparing. We have no place of being angry with God. Let God be God and let God do what God so chooses to do. And we, like Zoe, Job said, I'm going to zip it up. I'm going to shut up. Because <laughs> you're God. You remember there in the latter part of John's Gospel, Jesus had revealed to Peter the manner of death in which he was going to die and give himself for the Lord. And uh, I suppose Peter was somewhat concerned about that. You know, Peter, when you're a young man, you walked about and did pretty much what you wanted to do. But now I'm your Lord and you're going to go where I say go. And you're going to do what I say do. You see? You're going to submit yourself to me. And Peter looked over his shoulder and there's John walking behind him. And Peter said, what about him? What's going to happen to John? And what did Jesus say? He said, If I will that he should remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. (laughs) Don't worry about this one. Don't worry about that one. You worry about you. You worry about your walk with me. Then on the other hand, we think of Jonah. You know, the Lord had decided to forgive all of Nineveh and show Nineveh His total grace and forgiveness and love to these. Of course, that drove Jonah crazy. He wanted to see them toasted. He wanted to see the judgment of God fall upon them. Let God be God. Let God do what God wants to do. Cain, why are you angry? What right do you have to be angry at me? Am I not the one who determines what sacrifice is pleasing to me and what sacrifice is not? You know, that's, that's often the problem with 
That was a problem with Cain. That's a problem with people in general. And sometimes that's a problem even with us who are Christians. That Luther called sinner saints. We get out of hand, don't we? But the fact is, he has the right to reign. He has the right to rule. He has the right to determine what is good and bad and what is right and wrong and in the way in which he should be worshipped. He is God. There is none other. And he has spoken to us in this revelation of God, even though Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent when the serpent said, as God really said, God has really said, God has really said this. He has spoken to us in the past in different manners through the prophets, through the Word. In these latter days, He has spoken to us through the Son, the one that Abel believed was coming. He finally came. And He has come and He's offered up His life in order that we might be saved. Cain was angry. He didn't like it. Matter of fact, the text says here, not only was he angry, he was very angry. He had hostility toward God. How dare God not accept this sacrifice? What's wrong with this? You know, Cain was hostile. He was very angry. I believe he was angry enough to kill God if he could have. He would have stormed the gates of heaven. He was so angry. Who is this God? Anger. Does he have the right? What's wrong with what I've, I've offered? See, it was, it was not offered in faith. It was not offered in reference to the Lord, and he was very angry, very angry. We won't take time, the time to turn there, but read Romans chapter 1. Even though God has sent forth his revelation, the Word of God, and the, and the beauty of his creation and that that the truth of God is placed in the heart of men and because of the of God working through his law and through his conscience men know what is required of them and yet they turn away you know and the conscience has become seared and they begin to sin against God to rebel against God and do all manner of evil because they do not believe that God has the right to speak. But God has spoken. And God is right. In the parable of the miners, there was a certain nobleman who was going away to a far country to receive a kingdom and then he was going to return. He was the rightful Sovereign, if you will, the rightful nobleman of this country. And he was receiving another kingdom that he was going to bring back to them. And what does the Scripture say? The citizens of that kingdom hated him and exclaimed, We will not have this man to reign over us. That was a picture of Jesus in reference to predominantly the Jewish people in his time that he was soon to be crucified. And he was going away to his father and he was going to bring in a new kingdom. But the Jews, their disbelief, 
They killed him. They said, we will not have this man to reign over us. And they killed the Lord of glory. God has spoken. God has spoken. And He has ordained that it's only through Jesus Christ that we must be saved. There's no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. And yet, Cain was angry at what the Lord had said. Angry to the point, not only very angry, the text says, and you could tell it if you looked at him, because his countenance had fallen. You know the picture, don't you? You know, we see it, we see it. And kids, you need to eat your broccoli. You know, I don't want to eat broccoli. You know. We also see it in adults, too. Yeah. I've been wrong. They set the jaw. They're mad. They're not going to change. I know what I need to do. But I'm not going to do it. Come hell or high water, I'm not going to do what's right. Because I've been hurt. I've been wrong. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my, my will. I'm not going to forgive. I know I forgive, but I'm not going to forgive. I've been hurt too badly. This time it's my way or the highway. Adults do the same thing. They sure do. I remember serving in another church decades ago. One, two men in the community. One was a part of the church. One was not. One left. Over an incident was so minor they couldn't even remember what they were arguing about. But they would not come together and reconcile and forgive each other. They would not. Although myself and others tried to get these two men to come together, they they would not. They would not. I have to think that Cain's attitude was something like that. It would not repent. It would not change. Even though we look at our text here. Look, look at the text. Look at verse uh, verse seven. As the Lord speaks very graciously and kindly to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin is right there. Sin lying at the door. Sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to have you, to master you. But you, you should rule over it. You see the Lord's grace here? You know, God is the God of second, third, twenty, seventy times seventy chances. He doesn't give up on us. He's gracious too. His own. If you will do what's right, will you not be accepted? Peter did that which was drastically wrong. He denied the Lord and yet the Lord accepted him. He brought him back. Peter, I know, do Peter, Do you love me? If you love me, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Reinstated Peter. Peter admitted he was wrong. He repented. Saul, who became Paul, repented of the most atrocious evil of persecuting Christians and having them killed. Turn to the Old Testament. I thought of Manasseh, who was the most wicked king that Judah ever had. He was horrendously wicked. He was an idolater. He was a worshiper of Baal and the Astros. He constructed 
altars for them both to be worshipped at. He seduced the children of Israel more than all anyone else had ever seduced them. And He led them into more, led the, the people of Judah into more evil more than even all the nations that God had destroyed because of idolatry. idolatry. He was a sorcerer. He was engaged in witchcraft. He was a mass murderer. He offered up his son in the fire. He worshipped the starry hosts. You know what? He repented. And he found grace from God. Cain, why, why are you angry? If you, if you will not do right... If you will do right, you'll be accepted. Do what's right. You know, sometimes as, as Christians, we, we think that we've done such terrible things and we're walking around guilty for no reason. If we can confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So He says to us, do what's right. Bury the hatchet and go on. Will you not be accepted? But Cain's anger remained. And the Lord warned him, Cain, sin's crouching at the door. Just as Satan prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, when we have an attitude of defiance against God, we become very vulnerable prey. And the devil takes so much delight when we rebel against God, when we defy God and we, we we place ourselves in a very vulnerable situation, and the devil will support you. You see, when sin's crouching at the door, the devil will be there to encourage you with words like, "You know, you're right. That person is, is really a jerk. He sinned against you. You have the right to be angry, just as you are. You know." He'll confirm your anger even though it's an unjust anger. He'll try to console you in your ungodly anger. No doubt Cain found that kind of consolation from the evil one. So what does Cain do? Sin's desires for you. Sin's desires to master you, to overpower you, to coax you to do evil. What did Cain do? He did not hearken to the Word of God. He dismissed the authority and the sovereignty of God, the righteousness of God. And Cain was talking with Abel, his brother. It came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. Maybe we've never killed anybody, but maybe we've had anger without a cause. And Jesus said if we've showed anger without a cause, an anger that is not founded in righteousness, then we're guilty of murder because we have that same type of hatred. And yet, again, Cain had a choice to make. And we have choices to make day in and day out in different situations of how we're going to respond. Are we going to respond in a natural sense, in a human sense? Are we going to let the Word of God reign over us? 
our decisions that we make day in and day out, sometimes even subconsciously we're faced with things. Are we thinking according to the revelation of God or are we thinking according to our own desires? Abel was thinking according to God. That's why he offered a sacrifice that was pleasing to the Lord. If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? The Lord says to us, sin shall not have dominion over you. It does not have to rule over us. We are not to let sin rule in our mortal bodies that we should obey it in its lust. Why is that? Because we know the Lord. We have power to live above our temptation. And the promise is to us that no temptation has overtaken us but such as is common to man. But God will, along with that temptation, provide a way in order that we might escape it and provide a way in order that we might bear up under it and do that which is right. That sin would not have dominion over us. Because we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can think and act and react the way God would have us to. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you turn away, ah, sin's crouching at the door. It desires to master you. In James chapter 1, And verse 15 says, Then when desire, that's our own desires, our own lust, when our desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when it's full grown, it brings forth death. We see that quite explicitly here in this text, don't we? You know, Cain submitted himself to his own thoughts, to the thoughts of evil, and it brought forth literal death. In his anger, he killed his righteous brother Abel. Someone has asked the question, you know, as believers, we're getting more and more like Christ, right, every day. A lot of times it's uh, three steps forward and two steps back. But we're progressing in the things of God by the grace of God. Someone says, do we have to pay for our sins in this life? You think we have to pay for our sins in this life? Well, first of all, it would be impossible to pay for our sins. We don't have the resources to pay for our sins. We'd be found greatly lacking. There's no way that we could pay for our sins. And yet, by the grace of God... We are forgiven of all of our sins through the righteousness that's in Christ. Again, I think Abel knew something of this when he offered that sacrifice unto the Lord, that substitutionary sacrifice. But yet, even though we're forgiven of all of our sins by the grace of God, yet we oftentimes suffer the consequences of what we've done in the past. And we see this in the life of Cain. He was a marked man, yet the Lord showed grace to him by not allowing one to kill him, even though he was to be a a vagabond and roam the earth for the rest of his life. We bring that type of heartache upon ourselves. We have to 
reap what we sow. But yet the Lord's grace is good to us. He forgives us, but we have to carry on. Forgetting those things that are behind us, we continue on. If you do what's right, we will be accepted. Bury the hatchet. Go forward the way the Lord has called you to go forward. And ask ourselves here, the Lord also has called upon us to offer a sacrifice. Has He not? Now praise God, the writer to the Hebrews says, there's no more sacrifice for sin to be offered because Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice. The perfect sacrifice. But yet, He tells us, let's look there just in a few minutes in closing here. This text has already been read for us. You know where I'm going. Romans chapter 12. We are called to offer up a sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. So he says, therefore, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You know, God asks us to offer a sacrifice. And that's a sacrifice of ourselves. And what is, what is it based on? Well, I need to do it. You know, the Lord asked us to be an offer of a sacrifice. No, we offer up a sacrifice based upon how merciful He has been. He's shown Himself to us. You see? Again, Abel understood something about the mercy of God when he offered up that sacrifice that depicted the mediatorial work of the sheep of the lamb that was to come the Lord Jesus Christ and based upon his great mercy for us we're to offer up ourselves a living sacrifice and do what is right do what God has told us to do verse 2 and be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God God has called us to do that very thing. The Apostle Paul saw his very life as a sacrifice to the many churches that he served. And while he was in jail and he was writing to the church at Philippi, he remembered those dear Philippian Christians. Such a, a warm letter, such a sweet relationship overall that Paul had with those dear Christians at Philippi. And he says to them, thinking about how the church at Philippi had ministered to him time and time again, he says to them these beautiful words in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 17. He says, Yes, if I am being poured out as a drink offering. He thought of his life in reference to a drink offering. Sometimes oil, more often times, wine was poured upon the sacrifice as it was burning. It would cause a sweet-smelling savor to go up to the Lord. And, he said, and Paul said, yes, even if, if I am to be thought of in this fashion as a drink offering that's poured out. Well, where is it poured out? Where was Paul being poured out? He said, I... Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. 
You see, Paul was a drink offering and the Philippians service to the Lord and their sacrifice of faith for the things of God and for the love of Paul. And Paul's drink offering, Paul is a drink offering, was being poured upon that. You see, a beautiful sacrifice from the church at Philippi of their very lives. And Paul's life, coupled with their sacrifice, it was offered to the Lord. A beautiful picture. And you know what Paul said about that? He said, even if I'm poured out, and it was possible, although Paul was expecting to be released, and he was, it was very possible at the time of this writing that Paul could have been poured out. He could have been killed during this imprisonment. But he wasn't. But he said, even if... I am poured out as a drink offering. Along with you, you dear church, we are sacrificed together. We are sacrificed together before the Lord. And he said, in that, I am glad. I am glad. And I rejoice with you all. We're called as the people of God to offer up a sacrifice to Him that's pleasing to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for this glorious work that You have done. This glorious provision in giving us Your own dear Son. And I pray, Father, that we would get a real glimpse of the glorious sacrifice that You've given to us. And You would cause us by Your very mercies to offer up that spiritual sacrifice of our very lives, that which is pleasing to You. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.